Coming up, Taya Kyle, widow of an American hero, on the challenges of being a military wife. Welcome to another Real American Heroes special edition. I'm Oliver North. Our guest today, Taya Kyle. She's the widow of a true American hero, Chris Kyle, a highly decorated U.S. Navy SEAL who tragically lost his life to a veteran he was treating for PTS. Many of you may remember Chris Kyle as the author of the best-selling book, American Sniper, and an Academy Award-nominated movie by the same name. Taya Kyle serves as the executive director of the Taya Kyle and Chris Kyle Foundation. This is an organization with a mission of serving God, the country, and U.S. service members, families. Taya has authored two books, her most recent right here, American Spirit Profiles in Resilience, Courage, and Faith. Taya is working on several new projects, a children's book called Prayers for Bears. I gotta get a copy of that. We've got 18 grandkids, as I think you know. She's also working on two future television projects, inspiring others. Taya, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, I appreciate it. And I wanted to just make one point on, uh, a lot of times and in the media, it was said that the person who killed Chris and his friend Chad had PTS, but the psychiatrist in the murder trial for both the prosecution and the defense said that he did not have PTS. He never had a traumatic episode in his life, according to them. And so I just wanted to make that point because I know you know a number of people who have PTS or sure. who've had it in the past, and so do I, and they're just, you know, they're not murderers. And um, I think that was the story for so long. And because the trial was coming up, we couldn't correct it in the media. We had to kind of ride with it. Yeah. So I think people appreciate knowing now that it's over that, it, you know, it wasn't, according to them, a case of PTS in this situation. Well, you know, clearly military marriages are challenging. That's one yes. of the things I admire about you is recognizing that. Give us a sense for what you and Chris experienced during his active duty time and, and the kinds of stress that that puts on a family. Yeah, you know, it is interesting. And I know you spoke so eloquently at one of our events about your marriage and it touched my heart so much because you were very open about it. And a lot of people don't understand that the struggles are different and there really isn't a lot of help available for it. So the challenges that we had in particular, there were things thinking, well, maybe I just don't, you know, maybe I made a mistake marrying because it seems like it's different, but we were so good before all of this, right? And then you start to realize, no, it's not the two of you, it's this life and you don't know how to manage it. So you know, in the military, he doesn't have control over his schedule. And at some point, you know, uh, the spouse can't plan on anything, not a dinner, not a kid's birthday party, not a holiday. And if you do plan on something that ends up being a risk because chances are it's going to get canceled. So you start learning not to count on your spouse, which is difficult because, you know, part of marriage is being able to count on each other. I think the other thing was feeling like, you know, you're as a spouse thinking that service member is fulfilling their life's passion and you want them to, and you love that about them. You support that. At the same time, sometimes it feels like, like I would say that I'm, I'm the one doing the dirty laundry while you're out living your passion and I get no, you know, I lose with you doing it. I don't, I don't win anything. You know, I don't, I don't gain much. I lose the time with the man I love. I lose the time that my children have with their father and I appreciate the patriotism. But other than that, it becomes, you know, um, that sort of sacrifice. Then there's the fear factor. I've never loved anyone like I loved Chris. And the last thing I wanted was for him to die. And then 
you know, the second to last thing I ever wanted was to be a burden to him when he's over there serving. I didn't want him to think about me being home and being afraid. And I didn't want to be stressed out with my children. I wanted them to have a happy life. So all of those dynamics play into it. I think, you know, I could go on for a long time, so I'll try to stop myself. But even the intimacy part, when, you know, if it's physical or emotional intimacy, when you're away for a long time, how do you keep that fresh? And how do you jump right back in when they get home for just a limited amount of time? You know, as you know, it's not just deployments, it's training too. So there's a lot to navigate. Yeah, there sure is. Uh, And I, quite frankly, was not as witting of it as much as I should have been back when I did 25 years in the U.S. Marines. And so, you know, we've got the camaraderie, you've got the challenge, you've got the stuff you're doing together every day with your mates and your, and your pals. And meanwhile, there's uncertainty, anxiety back at home that I was completely unwitting of. One of the, one of the things that I, I really admire about you is your ability to articulate that to our civilian neighbors. Because, you know, for most of the time that I was married, I still married. Most of the time that I was in the military, we lived off base, probably only half the time. So if you're on base, great, because you got all neighbors that know exactly what you're going through. But less than 2% of the American people even know the name of somebody in our military. The last time we were together, I made that observation. You've got some great advice to couples in this. Where, where did you, going through all of what you went through, where did you get the the, the wisdom and the experience and the courage to do this? You know, it's interesting because I really, at the end of the day, I, I know it was God that brought this mission because I, I did not feel like I could do it at the time. I, Chris had just died. We had talked about a foundation. We talked about how to give financially to a number of families, not just a couple. And, and we were looking at how to start a foundation, which as you are aware, I'm sure it's costly and there's legal minefields and accounting minefields and all this stuff. So after he was killed and I thought, you know, there are so many things that I learned and I wished I had learned them sooner because we were really good together in the beginning and we were really good together in the end. And we had these really high moments in between and we had really, really low moments. And I thought, I'm the type of person I'll do anything. I'll read any book. I'll do whatever it takes to be better. And there weren't tips and tools available that were, you know, for our life. And we, like you, you know, we didn't live on base. And and even from what I understand, people who live on base, there's no guarantee that those people are your friends. The only thing you have in common is that your spouse is served. Right. You know, you come from all walks of life. So um, what I did is I looked at it and I thought, okay, why did we make it? There were only 3% of the people married enlisted guys in the SEAL teams at that time made it. 97% were divorced. So I thought, how did we make it? And I went back and there were a few pivotal things that I remember looking back and thinking those were the difference makers. And so those are the things that we put into four programs for the foundation. And it's been, it has to be God because I could not have, done it alone. And, and the, we have about a hundred percent success rate. I say about, because there's one or two outliers, but there were reasons for those couples um, that we didn't catch and we learned from, but they're making it. And that tells me they want to be together. They just don't know what to do. They've got a heart of service. I'm sure your wife has a heart of service or she wouldn't have been with you and <laughs> wanting true. to serve you. Right. Yeah, and supporting right. your service. So you've got two people who are are service-minded they just don't know how to serve each other while they're serving their country and their family and so it's been an honor and a blessing to be able to um get in the fight with them 
Well, let me ask you this, because it, when we've been together, again, most Americans don't understand the challenges and, and the perspectives. You've got advice on personal health for the military mates out there. You've, you've seen the option of private health care for military veterans. And I'm not trying to get political on this thing, but that's a big challenge, isn't it? It is. I, you know, honestly, it's a huge challenge. And I feel like especially it's it, it, the VA is great if you are fairly healthy. And I have an aunt who works for the VA and she's got a heart of gold. And so it's not there's no one person I would single out here. I think at the end of the day, it's still a bureaucracy and it's run by people who maybe are so far away from the actual people who need help that it gets muddled to say, you know, at least. And so what I've found is if the marriage is intact, the spouse will find the healing that the service member needs. If it's alternative, if it's acupuncture, if it's a change in diet, if it's adrenal fatigue, whatever it is, that spouse will usually work and fight tooth and nail to get their service member healthy. But if their marriage is not in a good place, that comes off as nagging. It comes off as a service person feeling like they're not ever going to be enough. They're not going to be understood. But if their marriage is good, it comes off as, thanks, babe. You know, I didn't know I wasn't, I felt like I was doing better. I knew I kind of wasn't. So I really believe that the, the care, it's just, it's my experience. The care that people receive at the VA is not enough for PTS and it's not enough for some of the physical problems either. So they have to have an opportunity for private care and they have to have a partner in that, that path to healing. One of the things that's happened with your foundation, of course, is that we used to get together to help raise money by going out with other supporters and, and people contributing. COVID-19 has certainly affected that for you. How are you dealing with that? You know, it's interesting because, I, you know, there forever, it seems like galas were the thing. And you were so kind to come to ours and help us raise money there. I felt for a while, though, that there's a change in the atmosphere, that maybe galas are overdone because there are so many nonprofits and people wanting to do good work. And so it seems to me a little bit that there's some exhaustion in the donor base. Mm -hmm. And for me, what that said is, to me, it said, okay, you've got COVID and you were already thinking that maybe the galas are oversaturated. So what's, what is the answer? And for marriage in particular, the type of donor is a needle in a haystack because they have to have the money, but they have to have not sacrificed their marriage in order to make their wealth. Right. And a lot of people who have a lot of wealth are on their second or third marriage and they don't see that marriage for the service person as being as vital as it is for them. I mean, 80 percent of the service suicides are relationship related. 80 percent of the suicides relationship related. It's a life changer. So I need to find that donor who has the money and who understands that we're talking about life and death and who understands we're talking about the next generation. And who knows that service marriage is different than civilian. And that's hard to find. You're, you're very bold talking about how your faith has changed your life. Just yeah. share, share some of that with our viewers. You know, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've been blessed to be exposed to a number of people, atheists, you know, people of different religions. And I know that sometimes people say it's a crutch. And I just, I, I ache for them because I can understand if I were to say to you, which I'm going to say to you, God has been my, not my ultimate, yes, my ultimate savior, but also my saving grace in the times that were the hardest. I mean, I get chills just talking about it. I feel like I could cry because 
There's such a personal relationship that comes when you are desperate and it's not just a crutch. It was this calling out of, you have to help me. You know, I don't, I did, there were times I didn't want to live. Right. But I have to live for my kids. And it wasn't just Chris's murder. That was bad enough, but there were these lawsuits and betrayals and changes in the family dynamics. And, you know, there was this mountain. And, and so I noticed that in all of that, there should not have been a way for me to survive and have the work survive and to have my kids doing well. And for me to, to come through it, you know, with a heart to serve and to feel like my love for Chris is alive and, and to have joy. And the only way I can, can explain it is God, because when that mountain was on me, I said, God, I can't do it. And I would notice that things would drop in my lap that I didn't have to do anything for. And the things that I was banging my head against the wall, I would go, I can't do that. And so I'd walk away from it. And three months later, a couple of pieces would fall in and then that door was open. So I started to learn, wait a minute, is God working on my behalf for these things that are important to him? And so I took that leap of faith and he was doing it right. So it started to grow that way. It, it started to grow when Chris was deployed and I was afraid. That's, that's when I started to go help me and he would take my fear from me help me sleep. And so I noticed there was this personal relationship, but going forward and after Chris's death, I noticed that he's there for all of us in, in the ways that I would have never predicted before. I knew he was a loving God, but I did not predict that he would be involved in the details of our lives. And I just want more people to know that they can try just, you know, I, I remember one time crying to a friend of mine saying, I feel like God keeps asking me to jump off the cliff without a parachute and to trust him that he's going to catch me. I'm tired of jumping. You know, I've proved that I will, but I'm tired of it. And I think we all feel that way. I think that's normal too. Like I'm tired of having faith that it'll work out sometimes. I want just a concrete uh, answer, but the more I've jumped off without a parachute, the more my faith has proven to be just and accurate and worthy. And so I'm, I'm getting better at jumping. You know, uh, 50 years from now, I'll, my 18 grandkids are gonna be in their 50s. Give me a sense for how you want them to know what you did in the midst of an awful, awful experience, and yet we're able to do the kinds of things we're talking about right here. What do you want my grandkids to know about that? I, I appreciate that question a lot. I do think about that. I think the best thing that they can know, I truly believe that this life is a chess game, and I think it's between good and evil. And I think when you see evil strike, you can get discouraged, hopeless, wonder if it's worth it. And what I want them to know is to wait, give it a beat, let God work. Because every time it seems like the devil has somebody in check, God is the master chess player and he's got checkmate coming. You just have to have faith and wait. I feel like that's the biggest thing that people need to know that that story hasn't changed since the beginning of time. And it's not going to change 50 years or hundred years from now. Evil's going to strike. And it's going to hit all of us. In one way or another, we're going to suffer. The thing is, just wait. Just wait. Checkmate is coming. Patience. Patience. Yep. Yep. It's not easy, is it? I know you know that. Yeah. Thank you, Taya, for making time to be with us today and for providing facts that other Americans can use in these very challenging times. Tell everybody how to get a copy of this great book. Well, thank you. American Spirit and American Wife are on Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble. They're at all the major booksellers. They can get it online. So in COVID, you can still order books. And they're on audio. Yeah, there you go. God yeah. bless you. Thank, thank you, you for God making bless. time to be with us today. My friends, if you, if you believe, as I do, 
that what Taya is saying is encouraging, take time now to let me know how these unprecedented events have affected you and yours. By doing so, you'll be part of this historical record of how America persevered and once again prospered. Until next time, remember, Semper Fidelis is more than a slogan for U.S. Marines. Always faithful is a way of life.